Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. John, we're marching right through the third quarter here. We're almost yeah. in the last quarter. Yeah, the weather's turned nice. Uh, we've yes. got college football almost in full swings. SEC's playing. It is, yeah. South Carolina plays uh, Tennessee at home there you tomorrow. Go, yeah, that'll be, that'll be that. a good game. Clemson, yeah. Clemson's uh, resting up. Resting up this week. Don't know week, why they're right? resting up. Well, we've had two hard games, man. We yeah, should, you know? yeah, right. <laughs> but uh, the markets, you know, September's been a challenge a little bit, but the third quarter right. overall has been a good quarter. It really has. We've had a remarkable recovery, and, uh, you know, so now we get into the really the 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 meat of the election and you know well, there is Supreme, an election Supreme, coming up Supreme Court you oh, know nomination yeah. <laughs> it's going to be a little messiness going yeah. forward here for the next couple months so. word, word to the wise turn off the news because exactly. it does nothing but sell fear exactly yeah yeah so there might be some volatility I, I do not think those things drive the market as we talked about before many but, times uh, yeah anyway we have some great topics to talk about today and uh, you know one of those is um. Yeah, it's it's unlearning some conventional wisdom, right? Yeah, it really is. This is a great discussion. This is one of my favorite articles of all time. Um, just trying to predict the market. I have people that call me up, and I know you do too, and says, you know, I have a feeling the economy is not going to do well. Well, with all due respect to folks out there that do predictions, no one, no one knows. There's too right. many factors out yeah, there exactly. that impact it. There's just nobody that can predict it consistently. So making decisions off these headlines bad, bad, bad decision. So we're going to go through some things to unlearn to uh, retire rich. Yeah, it, it comes down to your belief system. And there are some things that subconsciously you believe, you know, and turns out you don't know it. And I, I like I like this list. It's yeah. a great list. And then we're going to follow that up by organizing your financial records, John. Um, you know, this is a great article and, and a good topic. We're going to talk about what to keep, what not to keep, how long to keep it, um, different financial records, but also how to organize your financial records because um, this is a big mess that a lot of people, a lot of people struggle with. You know, just throwing it all in a box mm -hmm. and don't know what to keep and how long to keep it. So we're gonna we're gonna try to unravel that for you today. I think it's a great topic, but we're gonna start off here. Um, well, by the way, though, I'm Steve Marbert. I'm a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey Smart Vester Pro with over 25 years experience. And providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis. I'm a Dave Ramsey certified counselor. I have an MBA in finance and have been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 28 years. We're excited to have you listening to us today on our weekly show. Our podcasts are up every Friday afternoon. Yeah, check out our website, moneymd.net. We have a link to the podcast. You can listen from your, your laptop computer. Obviously, you can download it in iTunes. Uh, also have a lot of really good tools out there on the website, some uh, calculators for retirement, uh, some college articles. So go check that out. Also, a Facebook page, MoneyMD. We put a weekly prescription of the week out there. Usually pretty fun, pretty entertaining. Yeah, absolutely. We're always funny. That's right. <laughs> well, we think we are anyway. Well, that's right. In our own <laughs> minds. But uh, you can link to us on the website. You can send us your questions. We'll answer those here on the show. We'd love to hear from you. Um, but we're going to start off here with the financial fact of the week. Yeah, this comes actually from the U.S. Coast Guard. And uh, I tell you, the the travel industry has been just decimated with, with COVID. And um, one of the statistics out there is there, you know, a lot of cruise ships are either sitting at or anchored near U.S. coastal cities, and they're waiting for the Center for Disease Control to, yeah. to lift the suspension of the industry. And uh, many of the ships remain anchored at sea in order to avoid a port fee 
that can be like $10,000 a day. So there's these floating cities out there. Yeah, there's hundreds of them. I think they actually are cruising in Europe now. I believe there's some cruises going on. Might be. I'm um, not sure. Not in the U.S., that's for sure. But, uh, wow, what a what a change. I mean, it has completely shut down the cruise cruise line. Yeah, it has. And, you know, we're, we we booked a cruise for, like, mid-next year, I think. And um, so, yeah, we're, we're hoping that gets <laughs> yeah, straightened fingers out. crossed. We all are hoping that gets straightened out. But that is a very <laughs> interesting fact. At $10,000 a day, gee whiz, yeah, I guess they can drop an anchor for that, that price. <laughs> that's right, yeah. Sit so, off the sit off the coast a little bit. No kidding. Can't no. imagine that's a lot of fun. I don't know. I I, I I think you'd feel like you're stuck out there. You know, you just no, can't go anywhere. No kidding. I mean, I hope the cruise industry survives. I think yeah, they will. I they, do too. they have a I lot of too. lot of cash on hand, and you know, they they barred barred a lot, obviously, and cut their costs. Sure. Fortunately, but interesting fact of the week, nonetheless. So, but that leads us up here to. Um, Unlearning some conventional wisdom. Yeah, that's right. And this is from uh, Jonathan Clements, uh, Market Watch article. And and Steve, to manage our money better, often we need um, we don't need to know more. <laughs> Instead, we actually need to unlearn what we think we already knew. And um, these are some some things this this gentleman pointed out in his thirty five year investing career. Uh, that he thought he knew. And so we, we see this, you and I have been in the business for a long time now. And one of the things that people think they know is which fund managers will outperform, right? Right. Another one is which way is the economy headed? You're doing prediction on the economy. How about yeah. interest rates and share prices? This one's interesting, whether the overall stock market is overvalued or not. There's oh, we get that all the time. <laughs> people lot, that feel yeah. like it's overvalued or, or undervalued very rarely undervalued most of the time they feel like it's overvalued yeah and another one here is which individual stocks will beat the market nobody knows that i mean yeah. but people are out there guessing every single Always day Always think they know that and then also another thing that that you should learn learn is trying to figure out which sectors uh or national stock markets are going to fare best and so that's a big long list there and we hear this frequently we certainly hear it all the time on the news media but we hear it from individual investors as well yeah, that's right. And, you know, normally we don't think these things really influence our investment strategy. Um, but still, you know, you have to recognize that, um, you know, your portfolio's performance would probably be better if you hadn't imagined that you knew <laughs> these things, yeah. right? I mean, if you know, you certainly wouldn't have wasted your much time and mental energy trying to figure out, you know, the market if you didn't have these gut, you know, kind of core beliefs in your back of your brain that you believe you know these things when you really don't. So, I mean, one of the questions is, is why do we think we know such things, such as, you know, individual stocks, which ones are going to beat the market, which sectors, uh, you know, where is the economy headed? What's the market's going to do if one presidential candidate wins? Well, it's partly because Wall Street and the financial media talk endlessly about these issues. And, and the financial media, they, they need to fill airtime, right? They need to sell ads. Right. Uh, they have websites and printed pages out there. And, and Wall Street wants to convince you that you know something about the future so you can actively, that's a key word, actively manage your portfolio and therefore fatten, the, you know, your, your, it basically fattens the streets coffers, right? And I mean, That's the people, right. when you're actively managing things in and out, there's transaction costs associated with that. And the data and the studies show that, that professional money managers over time, most of them do not beat their index. So why would an individual think they can beat the market? Yeah, and it's exciting. So the media, you know, they're trying to sell ads. They're sure. trying to sensationalize everything. So that's what they're geared around is is trying to, you know, um, 
uh, put those beliefs out there. Um, and, you know, I mean, we, and it's not all that, that all the blame, um, uh, but not all the blame belongs to others though. Right. I mean, the belief that we have the knowledge also partly stems from kind of the way that we're wired, just human nature. I mean, that wiring leaves us vulnerable to a host of behavioral mistakes, including extrapolation, overconfidence, recency bias, um, which together kind of conspire to convince us that we know what the future will bring. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's a problem. It is. It is. And when we think we know something, we're inclined to act upon that knowledge. In the financial markets, action always almost always triggers investment cost and sometimes even big tax bills as well. So if we mess with our basic mix of stocks and conservative investments, we may miss a, a big market move. And, and we've seen that. Um, unfortunately, I have some, some folks that uh, decided to go more conservative back in May when the news wasn't real positive. Yep. And, you know, uh, June was a great month. July was a great month. August was a great month. So they've missed some of these, you know, good markets. And uh, anytime you, you know, opt to reduce your stock exposure, um, you know, you also lower the portfolio's expected long run um, return. So, you know, and that, and if our um, knowledge causes us to make, you know, narrow investment bets, like going into a sector like gross stocks, we risk a permanent loss of capital as we bet on stocks and market sectors that could potentially plunge and never bounce back. And we saw that back in the, the tech bubble, right? A lot of people were putting money in tech and then it took, you know, 10 to 13 years to recover. That's right. And, and that will kill a retirement. Absolutely. Yeah, that's risk. That's right. Yeah, I mean, even if we put our hands on our heart and we swear that we aren't inclined to, yeah. to forecast, to make predictions, um, you know, they often, those predictions do often creep into our behavior. I mean, we... You know, we, we without even thinking about it, we will hold off investing because we sense that share prices could fall, the market could fall. We will tilt our investments toward U.S. stocks because we think that they're always going to outperform international markets. Um, instead of prudently diversified, we'll hang on to our employers' shares, you know, because that were granted because we, we think the company's prospering and the stock's going to do well um, in the future. So, we're always making these predictions behind the scenes in our brain without acknowledging that's really what we're doing. We're really timing the market or timing some kind of individual stock. Yeah, and no matter how much we analyze individual stocks or read newsletters, I've seen people paying hundreds of dollars a month for newsletter tips. Um, there's no evidence that we'll come up with a, a better forecast. Uh, instead, it's it's our best bet is uh, our best bet really is not to forecast. We we need to unknow these things that we think. We know instead of you know focusing on facets of investing where we have some control and uh, where we truly can add value, and we're talking about you know the amount of portfolio risk um, that we take. And so the better approach is to find a good risk profile. So maybe it's fifty percent in stocks and fifty percent in bonds, and leave it alone, versus going more aggressive and then pulling out and going to cash. So the fact that the markets go up seventy five percent of the time historically should say most of the time you're going to be up, right? That's right. That's so, right. you know, there's there's other areas of our financial life where hard work does pay off. Um, and uh, you you can certainly improve your financial life by figuring out which debts to pay first. Um, you know, paying off your home, going into retirement, when to claim Social Security, you know, looking at insurance and estate planning needs. And, and we can certainly improve our life by spending more thoughtfully and saving more diligently um, you know, those kind of things do make a difference, but trying to predict 
these things that we talked about, the markets, what's going to happen with the election, it just doesn't work. And there is nobody that can consistently predict this. So the better strategy is get the right risk profile up front and have a process in place that, hey, when markets go down, maybe you buy some extra shares on sale. That's, that's a good right. thing. Absolutely. And that's what Absolutely. we do. <laughs> that's exactly what we do. That's part of rebalancing. Exactly. Yeah. A big part of being successful in life and particularly with investing is the old adage of knowing what you don't know. Yep. You know, a lot of people don't recognize what they don't know. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> you need to this recognize is... those things. So that's a great topic, though. Really good. All right. That leads up here to our question of the week. Yeah, this is um, coming from our, our kingdom advisor training. Um, yep, <laughs> it's yep. a good it's a good question, but it, how do I save aggressively towards a financial goal while also practicing contentment? So I think mm. that contentment is a is an interesting word, and we see people that come in with a significant amount of money and they're just not content. They're not they're nervous. They're 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 not happy with their finances, and they don't have the perspective of hey, you're, you have a million dollars that you've saved up, you have a pension, you have no debt. That's a good That's a good situation. So one of the things we can provide is some perspective uh, for folks. But, you know, being content um, with where you are and what you have is important. Um, I think having goals in front of you and, right. and having a budget that you're, you're, you know, you're putting money towards those goals is a good thing. But you also can't get obsessive. And, I mean, having money is, is important, but it's not the most important thing in life. Yeah, that's right. And I think part of being content is having balance in your life. Balance, you know? yeah, balance, good. right? I mean, so you can save for goals, but part of the part of that budgeting and that planning process has to include some fun, yeah. you know, and has to include golf. You know, yeah, golf, exactly. Great example, yeah. John. You know, vacation, you know, dates <clears throat> with your wife, you know. I mean, it's got to include some 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 leisure in there. You can't all be about the yeah. goal. I've had some couples come in over the time over time, and I know you have as well. And and the, it ha- typically is the husband that is like a super saver, mm-hmm. and they want to save thirty times. to fifty percent. And and we're like, you know, fifteen percent is a good number, and you should maybe use some of that for other you know family activities like with kids. And you can see the the spouses reacting is like, yeah, I've been saying that, I've been saying that. So right. so having a balance on this is important you can save too much. It's crazy to say, but you can. Absolutely. I've seen clients that come in and, you know, the wife pays the bills. So she's the one who has to struggle with, you know, where the money comes from and, you know, making all the paychecks. And you're right. The husband is more of the planner, you know, and has the goals and wants to get to a million dollars or two million, whatever it is in their plan. And yeah, I mean, you got to have some balance. The the wife's just trying to survive, you know, (laughs) you know, with kids or whatever it is and paying the bills. And so, you know, you got to come together and you got to you got to recognize that that's the goal isn't the, the end all be all. Yes, that's right. Enjoy you the know, process. Enjoy the process <laughs> and yeah. have some balance in your life. Balance, but, you know, the, the planning and goals obviously are important. So, yes. Anyway, great, great question of the week. And that leads up here to our next topic, and that is organizing your financial records. Um, this is based on an article out of Bottom Line, Inc. Um, Edward. Um, Mandela is, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> CPA. CPA, yeah. That's right. Anyway, but, you know, John, I mean, it's easy for your financial documents records and even your personal records just to overtake you, you know, at home, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. you get all this stuff and you don't know how to file it, how to take care of it. And yeah, as you're in approaches, you know, you're going to have a tw- another 12 months worth of financial tax-related papers, um, personal records and stuff piling up at your house. And you may even have decades worth of records piling up. 
It's not that unusual. Um, so now's the time to consider reducing your clutter, kind of get rid of your records um, from this year. I mean, during this pandemic, it's a great time to do that because you're at home more, right? Maybe you have some more time to organize your stuff. And uh, But you don't want to get rid of, rid of everything you might need, right? Of course. Um, and I can just say, you know, I love organization. I, I love being organized. I love seeing organization. I don't love the process of doing it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm very goal oriented. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, I try to surround myself, you know, particularly here at work with people that are well organized. And we have done that. Mm-hmm. We, we actually have some great oh, yes. organizational people here in the office. And we have a, a fantastic electronic filing system, you know, and an organization where we can get to everything quickly. And we have processes for where that paper goes and how long we, we keep it. And usually, you know, we, we file it electronically and we get rid of the paper. Um, and that's what you need to do at home. That's really step one. You know, if you can get a great electronic filing system, then this decision of what to keep for how long it goes away because yeah. it's, it's easy. It takes no space, you know, and you can save it forever. Um, so let's focus on that part of the equation first. You know, I mean, how can you get a great electronic filing system? That's what you need to do. Get one on your computer, set up files for your household, for all the different categories that you might, that you have papers for um, on your computer. And, uh, and you know, I know you're concerned about what you need to keep the originals for, you know, for a lot of the documents, right? That's what you're thinking in your mind. Well, I need the original Well, the truth is the copy is as good as the original for 99% of your documents. Mm -hmm. You really don't need an original, you know, they they weren't original and originally, (laughs) you know, and sure, there are a few things, you know, there are a few exceptions like your will, your trust documents, your deeds, your titles, but that's really about it. You know, I mean, just that little handful of things, very small number of things that you really that it, it's better to have the original on. Even a, a copy still works on a lot of those things, you know, but but it's but a few things you, it's better to have the original. But other than that, I mean, tax documents, statements, bills, medical records, most other documents do not need to be the original. Um, so how you can solve this mammoth problem with the piles of paper is you buy a great scanner and a great shredder, mm, <laughs> you <yeah>. know, <clears throat> right? And, uh, and you can even use your smartphone for the scanning part, but you got to consider the volume of documents that you're talking about here. And I use my scanner. I don't know about, I mean, my phone as a scanner, I don't know about you, mm-hmm. but, uh, I have a little, a little app called the tiny scanner that mm-hmm. I love. It's a great scanning app, scans it right in the PDF. It even corrects it and makes it look kind of pretty. Um, and then you can just, with the touch of a button, you can email it to yourself yeah. and get it on your computer. Mm-hmm. So I would use that for a lot of things at home. Um, and it'll add pages automatically. You just keep hitting the plus button and add another page and you can put it all in one document automatically. Um, so that's a great app, great tool. But, you know, if you're if you're working from, you know, reams of paper that you've saved up over the years, you're going to need a good scanner. <laughs> Which is probably most people out there. <laughs> most people out there, right. So if you're starting from scratch, you're going to need a good scanner. And I, t- I tell you, you know, here at the office, we've been using the SnapScan scanners for mm-hmm. 15 plus years. And I really think they're the best out there. They're expensive. Okay. I mean. To get the really good one, high speed one that scans on both sides that we use, it's like four hundred dollars mm-hmm. for a scanner. So but if that, you scan a lot, that's but if you scan a lot, fantastic. You yeah. know, I mean that, and that we we've been using some of them. We've been using for fifteen plus yeah. years, wow. you know, and so they last a long time. So those are good. There are cheaper ones out there, of course, 
Um, so you just got to do the reviews. But if you're talking about serious scanning, lots of documents, you got a whole file cabinet you need to get rid of, then then you better buy a high-speed scanner that scans on both sides um, that'll automatically just put it in PDF. Well, they'll all do that, but you just got to be able to do that. Um, and then you need a good shredder, right? <laughs> I mean, you need something to shred, you know, uh, you know, a lot of paper quickly. Um, so you're going to pay a little bit for that for sure. Um, but... Um, you know, I mean, and so you, once you get that, then um, you you start, you get to work, you know, and, and you just start scanning things immediately when they come in. Um, you immediately shred them and you follow them in there and then they're 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 done forever. You know, they take up no room. Right. And then you back up your computer, you know, once a month, however you do it and set up an automatic backup kind of system or you can put it on the cloud, however you want to do it. Um, and then you just you've solved this problem forever. Um, so that's the real solution to this problem. You know, having said that, I know a lot of people are old school. They want to keep the they paper. They want the paper. They want to keep the paper. <laughs> so we got a list here of of what you should keep and how long you should keep records. Um, you know, but of course, you're still going to need a good shredder for anything that's discarded. Um, you know, that should always be shredded. Yep. So you're going to need a good shredder anyway. You know, so when organizing your files, remember, you know, the general rules concerning your records. Um, you know, these are the rules that, that kind of comply with IRS requirements. So we're going to jump right in. Yeah. And the first one here, most probably top of people's mind is income tax returns and, and related items. And the answer is seven years. Um, keep them at least seven years. Keep supporting documents. You know, if you're uh, confirming your income or deductions for a minimum of three years after filing the uh, the filing date. Um, and, uh, you know, if you do not report income that is more than 25% of your returns gross income, um, you must have the records for six years back. But bottom line is no more than seven years and certainly keep the supporting documents for three years. Yeah, that's important. So tax returns. But if you scan them, hey, you can keep them forever. Forever, that's right. There you go. And that, that's a big file in my file cabinet. So you want to get rid of those. Um, gift tax returns. Yeah, if you ever made gifts where you filed a federal tax return, you know, those returns along with the backup should be retained forever. <laughs> You know, these returns will be needed for, you know, when you file the estate tax returns down the road. So you want to keep those, um, you know, gift or inherited assets, you know, all the records showing your basis and inherited assets and and things you received as a gift. um, Those will be needed if you sell the assets in the future. And you might it might be needed if you're involved in kind of a separation or something like that. Um, So if you received a gift of property or inherited assets, you you don't need to have the tax basis if you received them. Mm -hmm. Um, But, um, you know, now's a good time to try to get that. Are you, if you don't have it, you will need it actually when you receive any kind of gift like that. Um, The base on inherited things is gets a step up. So generally the value, the step based on those is going to be the value at the time you inherited it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Another item that you want to think about is wills and trust. And you need to keep the current will or trust. You need to have the original. And how do you know it's original? In our industry, we call it the wet ink signature. It's the actual real signature. It's not a copy of the signature. And uh, but we also recommend retaining old um, wills and trust. Um, you can kind of see how your thinking developed over time, and and to avoid confusion, uh, clearly mark on every page of any you know superseded agreement that it has been superseded and is no longer uh, in effect. So definitely want to have that original will and trust um, available. Yeah, and then there's residential property records, you know, for your house. Um, 
Yeah, tax laws allow you to, uh, the part of your, your gain to be tax-free when you sell your house. And it's a big part of your gain. It's like $500,000 for a married couple, two fifty for an individual. <clears throat> so chances are you won't need to know, you know, how much you, I mean, you know, you'll be well covered in that. Um, but you still might have to have a substantial amount of gain if you're over that. Um, and because of this, you need to keep the closing statements from your home purchase, you know, and the records and the amounts spent on the home improvements after the residence sold. You know, you put those papers with your other tax documents, um, you know, in in that year. And you, whenever you file your tax return, you'll you'll substantiate, you know, how much gain you had. Um, and we suggest, you know, permanently retaining those closing documents and titles for for property. But again, if you scan it, you know, it's yeah, you'll problem. have it. You'll have it. Investment records. Yeah, I mean, keep records of your investments for stocks, mutual funds, bonds, purchases. Um, besides providing you with the date for determining the type of gain, the long term versus the short term, those records also establish your basis in the investments and help you to compute the gain and loss when you go to sell them. Um, fortunately, the, the custodian's required to, to provide that information to you now if you, re, if you bought something after 2010. Um, John, but if it was bought before then, um, you're still responsible for coming up with that, with that basis. But in addition to those records, um, you know, the return of capital dividends and, and complete backup of, of like dividend reinvestment plans and your additions that you've made over the years, they add to your basis in those shares. So you're going to have to do some, some work to get those. If you owned any kind of dividend reinvestment stocks for many years and you don't have the backup information for those, um, then you're, you're, you know, you might want to consider just giving those to a charity. Yeah. Um, just so you don't, because if you do that, you don't need to know the basis of the stock. A side note on the drips is you may want to put those into a brokerage account. Absolutely. <laughs> when you someone do. inherits those, oh, you, going, going through the drip companies are very, very difficult. It is. You have to call them up and ask them for a purchase history. You know, every time the dividend was bought, yeah, you know, it's, going through that with a client right now. So it's a challenge. It's a challenge. But having a brokerage account is a, is a beautiful it's thing. It's a breeze. You yep. do want to make it in there. Yeah. Another thing is real estate records, any kind of uh, rental real estate, uh, depreciable business property that you own. Keep the records of the cost, the purchase date, any improvements, uh, the me method that you use for depreciation, and then file those with the uh, the tax returns on which you report the sales. So you got to keep pretty good records on real estate. That's right. Art, jewelry, collectibles. You know, you want to keep all the receipts and purchases and the appraisal reports along uh, you know, as long as you've owned the property, um, the receipts will be needed to substantiate the cost basis when you sell it or if you make gifts of that property or if you need to establish a loss for insurance purposes. Pur purposes. So, um, yeah, so that's important. Um, then you have personal records. You know, you want to keep a permanent file of your own family's personal records, such as any marriage licenses, divorce agreements, prenup agreements, birth certificates, adoption records. Name change papers, expired passports, social security cards, cemetery deeds. Yeah, yeah a lot of stuff. list goes on. A lot of stuff, you know. Um, again, a lot of that can be scanned. You mm -hmm. don't need the original. But um, yeah. anyway, you want to have those things, you know, for, for the future, obviously. Yeah, retirement plans. You know, if you've made any kind of non-deductible contributions, that would be something you would want to keep. Uh, backup for Roth IRA conversions that were taxed. Uh, maybe beneficiary forms. Um, you know, we certainly recommend making sure people have updated beneficiaries and, and know, um, you know, where the accounts are supposed to go once someone is passed. Um, that's very, very important. 
Yeah, and then legal judgments, loan satisfactions, we recommend you keep those forever. I mean, that's irre- irrefutable proof that you don't owe any debts or obligations for those. Insurance policies, the current enforced policies, you got to keep those in an easily accessible place. Um, this includes any type of insurance policy um, like life insurance, disability, income, long-term care. Um, I also suggest that you you know, keep the previous two years of policies so that uh, statements so that you can compare if you need to make a claim for, you know, checking rates and coverages and that kind of stuff. Um, you know, expired policies, you, you really can, you can keep those for a few years, but after that you can get rid of those. And then warranty agreements, you know, we would suggest you keep those for one year after the expiration of the warranty. But as a general rule, I mean, you know, if you're in doc, if you're in doubt, you know, keep it. Um, but if you can scan it on your computer, it's certainly the it's best yeah. way to to take care of all this stuff. Um, that is certainly our recommendation for for managing and organizing your financial records. Yep. There you go, and that leads up here to our final thing, and that is prescription of the week. Yeah, this has to do with um, helping out your budget and switching to LED bulbs in your house. Um, you know, it can save uh, save a lot of money over time, and um, certainly, uh, you know, it depends on how big your house is and so forth. Right. But um, you know, it's just another small item that you can, if you can lower your electric yeah. bill, then uh, every little bit you can put towards your Roth. How, right. much, how much money are we talking about, John? You got any idea? Um, $5, $10, $100? Probably $7.50 <laughs> per month is, would be my guess. <laughs> okay. It's 84 bucks, man. Eight, you know, you 90 the, bucks. You didn't look that up? I didn't look it up. I think it is substantial, but I think it's probably in the, yeah, $100, it's not, $100 a year yeah, kind of but range. if you do that for but, that and you do it for the, uh, you know, we've talked about the uh, temperature. That's right. Right? That's right. You're Insulation. Yeah, yeah, I think that's the bigger thing. Yeah, this I is think just the one thermostat's of, one of many. One of many pieces to the puzzle. You, I agree. And if you do I that agree. every single year and you fund your Roth IRA, Steve, that's how people, it's, you know, you it's, know. It's worth doing. I'm not saying it's not worth doing. But <laughs> yeah, I'll, right. I'll tell you what, I'll look Good. it up and I'll come back with the answer next, that's right. next Re- week. Has report it? it to us next week. Give us more details, will you? <laughs> no, that's a good prescription <laughs> of the week. All right, and that brings us to a close for this week's edition of Money MD. Tune in next week to hear more prescriptions for your financial health and check us out on our website, moneymd.net. You can link to us there, send us your questions, or you can give us a call at Richard Young Associates at 706 706- Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week. Have a good one. This program contains general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. This broadcast is not a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVestor Pro is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Dan Associates, a registered investment advisor.